0: So that brings us to chapter 23. Now, so far, everything in Jeremiah so far for 22 chapters has been kind of dark and depressing. And with a lot of the other prophets, we got to the hope of remnant being restored a lot sooner than this one. So here's where the promises of restoration start kicking in. Chapter 23, verse 1. Yahweh says, The leaders of my people are sure to be judged. They are supposed to watch over my people like shepherds, Watch over their sheep. But they are causing my people to be destroyed and scattered. So Yahweh God of Israel has this to say about the leaders who are ruling over the people. You have caused my people to be dispersed and to driven into exile. You have not taken care of them. So I will punish you for the evil that you have done. I, Yahweh, affirm it. Then I myself will regather those of my people who are still alive from all the countries where I have driven them. I will bring them back to their homeland, and they will greatly increase the in number. I will install rulers over them who will care for them. Then they will no longer need to fear to, or to be terrified. None of them will turn up missing. Yahweh promises it. You leaders have failed to lead my people and take care of them. So I will destroy you all. Then I will gather all my sheep. My sheep know my name, and they come to me when I call their name. I will gather them all back to me, and I will give them new leaders that will actually take care of them. I, Yahweh, promise that a new time will certainly come when I will raise up for them a righteous branch, a descendant of David. He will rule over them with wisdom and understanding, and will do what he has, what is just and right in the land. Under his rule, Judah will enjoy safety, and Israel will live in security. This is the name he will go by. Yahweh has provided us with justice, so the name that this new leader will have is justice. Yahweh has provided us justice, so I, Yahweh, say, verse seven: A new time will certainly come. People now affirm their oaths with, people now affirm their oaths with, I swear, surely as Yahweh lives, who delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. But at that time, they will firm them with, I swear, surely as Yahweh lives, who delivered the sins of the former nation of Israel from the land of the north and from the other lands where he had banished them. At that time, they will live in their own land. So what he says, is, it used to be that people swore in the name of Yahweh who delivered them from Egypt. But a day is coming where they will swear in the name of Yahweh who delivered them from exile. Exile is going to become like the new exodus. And just as Yahweh has been forever remembered as the God who brought them out of Egypt, he will one day be remembered as the God who brought them out of exile and brought them into a new land. Here is what Yahweh says concerning the false prophets. My heart my mind are deeply disturbed. I tremble all over. I am like a drunk person, like a person who has had too much wine, because of the way that Yahweh and his holy word are being mistreated. For the land for the land is full of people and faithful to him, and they live wicked lives and they misuse their power. So the land is dried up because it is under his curse. The pastures in his wilderness are withered. Moreover, Yahweh says, both the prophets and the priests are godless. I have even found them doing evil in my temple. So the path they follow will be dark and slippery. They will stumble and fall headlong, for I will bring disaster to them. A day of reckoning is coming for them. Yahweh affirms it. So Jeremiah says, I feel like a drunk person when I look at the people of my nation. Nothing makes sense. Everything is blurry. My head is spinning. When I look at all the evil and all the dysfunctionality, it, it leaves me discombobulated. And it leaves me spinning in my head. This doesn't this is not right. The world is not right like a drunk person viewing the world. Yahweh says verse 13, I saw the prophets of Samaria doing something that was disgusting. They prophesied in the name of God but all led my people Israel astray. But I see the prophets of Jerusalem doing something just as shocking. They are unfaithful to me and they continually prophesy lies. So they give encouragement to people who are doing evil with the result that they do not stop their evil doing. I consider all of them as bad as the people of Sodom and the citizens of Jerusalem as bad as the people of Gomorrah. So then I, Yahweh, who rules over all, has something to say concerning the prophets of Jerusalem. I will make these prophets eat the bitter food of suffering and drink the poison water of judgment. For the prophets of Jerusalem are, reason, are the reason that the ungodliness has spread throughout the land. You have become just as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. Now remember at the end of Kings, god said you've become worse than the canaanites that's bad so god warns them not to listen to the prophets and not pay attention to the false prophesying so chapter 23 verse 33 yahweh said to me jeremiah the one who when one of these people a false prophet or a priest asks you what burdensome message do you have from yahweh tell them you are the burden i will cast you away I, Yahweh, affirm it. I will punish any prophet, priest, or other person who says Yahweh's message is burdensome. I will punish both that person and his whole family. So God is constantly condemning these false prophets over and over again. He says their their messages are lies. They constantly prophesy prosperity. They're like, oh, no, the Babylonians aren't going to come. And they're just passing by our city. And God would never destroy us because we have the temple. See, we have the temple and it's taking care of us. And so they're going to go, Jeremiah, when you say, this is sarcasm, when you say that Yahweh has spoken, it's burdensome. And they're like, what new burdensome message do you have for us today, Jeremiah, from God? God doesn't speak messages of burden. He always speaks messages of life and hope. Hope and joy and happy-going-luckiness. That's who he is. And if you say that God has a bad message for us, then you're false because God is a happy God. And so that's the message. It's kind of like America. We don't want to hear any bad messages from God. We just like hearing, God bless America all the time. And though I definitely believe that God has blessed America, that's not always the message all the time. And so so he says this, When they sarcastically say, what burdensome message do you have for us today, Jeremiah? Then God says, tell them, you're the burden. (laughs) You're the evil one. You're the one why everything is happening. You're the burden on me. You think my words of destruction are a burden on you? You're a burden on me as I watch my children sin and do evil and preach lies. Verse 35, so Jeremiah, I tell you, each of you should people should say to his friend or his relative, how did Yahweh answer? Or what did Yahweh say? You must no longer say that Yahweh's message is burdensome, for this is a burdensome, really pertains to what a person himself says. You are misrepresenting the words of God, the living God. The burden is when you misrepresent Yahweh. Burden is not the message of Yahweh. The burden is the misrepresentation of Yahweh. Chapter 24, verse 1. Yahweh showed me two baskets of figs sitting before the temple, this happened after King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon deported Jehoiachin, Kim, son of King Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin of Judah, and he deported him and the leaders of Judah along with the craftsmen and the metal workers and took them to Babylon. One basket had very good-looking figs in it, and they looked like those that had been ripe and early. The other basket had a very bad-looking figs in it, so bad that they could not be eaten. Yahweh said to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? I answered, I see figs. And the ones look very good, but the bad ones look very bad, so bad that they cannot be eaten. And Yahweh said to me, I, Yahweh, the God of Israel, says, The exiles whom I sent away from here to the land of Babylon are like those good figs. I consider them to be good. I will look after their welfare, and I will restore them to this land. There I will build them up. And will not tear them down. I will plant them firmly in the land and will not uproot them. I will give them the desire to acknowledge that I am Yahweh. I will be their God, and they will be my people, for they will wholeheartedly return to me. Now notice that imagery of the good figs and the bad figs. That's very important. Because hopefully by the time we get done with all the prophets, when we get to the life of Christ, you'll see how often Christ alludes back to the prophets. And when the fig tree that Christ comes to and he curses it, meaning that's Israel, goes directly back to this imagery. When he curses the fig tree because it no longer is bearing good fruit, what he's literally saying to the leaders is, you're like the old Israel and Judah of Jeremiah's day who did not produce good fruit, and so I cursed you with the coming of the Babylonians. If you produced good fruit, I would have taken care of you. And that's why the Pharisees, when he did that, that was the beginning of the Pharisees no longer talking about trying to kill Jesus or even like kind of trying to kill him. They went into full throttle. We're going to kill you now. And this is what begins to lead to the cross because they knew exactly what Jesus is doing because what Jesus is saying is I'm Jeremiah and you're the false prophets and priests of the day of Judah. And that would have been an incredible insult to the leaders. That would be the equivalent of going to your pastors and elders in your church and saying, I am Jesus Christ and you're a bunch of serial killers. That's how the Pharisees interpreted. Okay. And so there was, it was a direct offense against them. But notice that God says this at this point in Jeremiah's life, a wave of people have already been taken into exile and they're already in Babylon. In fact, Ezekiel is one of them and he's already there and we'll get to him next week. They're in exile. And what God is saying is, this is what I'm promising. I'm taking the righteous people into exile. And the wicked people are the ones that are going to die and be left behind. So think about it. Daniel, and you know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. they are taking exile. And you're like, oh, that was so horrible and crappy. And it was. But the fact that they're going to exile meant that they were righteous and God was going to preserve them. And so what God is doing is he's flipping it. With Israel, the wicked are being taken away and Judah, the righteous are being left behind. But now in this exile, the wicked are going to be left behind and completely destroyed. And the righteous are going to be taken away into exile and then they're going to be brought back. So it's the people that are currently in exile and the people that are going to be taken into exile in the next wave. And then the next wave that's coming They're truly the righteous ones and everybody who's left behind are going to be destroyed and killed. Now there's a few poor people that are righteous and Jeremiah will be left behind. But Jeremiah is only left behind because Nebuchadnezzar gave him a choice to go with him or stay. And Jeremiah chose to stay to be with the people that were still left behind to continue his ministry to prophesy to them. Unfortunately, the people who are left behind and were not killed said they were faithful to God. But in the end, they proved that they weren't. And we're going to talk about that in the next section. So it's the people taken to exile that are actually being shown as the righteous people who are going to be brought back one day and restored. So Yahweh promises them. So that brings us to chapter 25. Verse 1. In the fourth year that Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, was king of Judah, Yahweh spoke to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah. Now remember, none of this is in chronological order. The the messages kind of just jump around all over the place. So, the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the people of Judah and to all the people who were living in Jerusalem. For the last 23 years, from the 13th year that Josiah, son of Ammon, was ruling in Judah until now, Yahweh has been speaking to me. I told you over and over again what he said, but you would not listen. Over and over again, Yahweh has sent his servants, the prophets, to you, but you have not listened or paid attention. He said through them, each of you must turn from your wicked ways and stop doing the evil things that you are doing. If you do, I will allow you to continue to live here in the land that I gave to you and your ancestors as a lasting possession." Do not pay allegiance to the other gods and worship and serve them. Do not make me angry by the things that you do. Then I will not cause you any harm. So Yahweh says, you have not listened to me, but you have made me angry by the things that you have done. Thus, you have brought harm on yourselves. Therefore, Yahweh who rules over you says, you have not listened to what I have said. So I, Yahweh, affirm that I will send for you all the peoples of the north and my servant King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. I will bring them against the land and its inhabitants and all the nations that surround it. I will utterly destroy the land, and its inhabitants, and all the nations that surround it and make them in everlasting ruins. I will make them objects of horror and hissing scorn. I will put an end to the sounds of joy and gladness, to the glad celebration of brides and grooms in these lands. I will put an end to the sound of the people grinding meal. I will put an end to the lamps shining in their houses. This whole area will become a desolate wasteland. These nations will be subject to the king of Babylon for 70 years. But when the 70 years are over, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation for their sins. And I will make the land of Babylon an everlasting ruin. I, Yahweh, affirm it. I will bring on that land everything that I said I would do. I will bring on it everything that is written in this book. I will bring on it everything that Jeremiah has prophesied against the nations. For the many nations and the great kings will make slaves of the kings of Babylon as nations too. I will repay them for all that they have done. It is at this point that God says, you're going to exile for 70 years years. Now, what he alludes to here is the 70 years are a result of them not taking care of the land. They're not obeying God. They're not doing right. And the greater context of some things that we didn't read in great depth, God is making the point this. Remember back in Leviticus, there were several Sabbaths. There was the weekly Sabbath. The weekly Sabbath happened every seventh day. There was also the the yearly Sabbath, and the yearly Sabbath happened every seventh year. So every seventh year, they were to let the land rest, and they were to let all slaves go free. God allowed slavery, which was not our American history slavery, which was just downright demonic and messed up. It was more of a, I can't pay my bills, and I'm going to go into bankruptcy, And I'm going to work for you, and you will pay my bills and my debt, and then I will make money, and I will end up buying my freedom. But because God didn't want that to go on forever, and he didn't want the people to mistreat their servants, their bond servants or slaves, he said every seventh year all slaves go free, unless a slave chooses to stay with you because you're a good master. So now, did... Did people abuse their slaves and do bad things to them? Yes, yeah, just like fathers and mothers can abuse their children. That doesn't mean being a father and mother is bad. So remember, I'm not saying that slavery was okay, and God's not saying slavery is okay. He's saying servanthood was okay for the sake of bankruptcy, but you're not allowed to take advantage of them and keep them in that state forever. You're, after seven years, you're to let them go free. Now, that's exactly what he's condemning them for. We hear that over and over again. You've mistreated the poor. You've mistreated the people in debt. You've oppressed them. You've taken advantage of them. You made money off of them. So they didn't do that, and they didn't let the land rest. They just kept harvesting the land over and over again and all that kind of stuff. Then there was another Sabbath, and that Sabbath was the year of Jubilee. In the year of Jubilee, every 50th year, they would do the same thing. They were not allowed to harvest the land or plant or harvest they weren't allowed, they had to set the slaves free, but they also were to cancel all debts. So what God is saying here is, and we see this in other places in the scriptures. Now, once did Israel ever do the year, the yearly Sabbath, the sabbatical year. Now, once did they ever do the sabbatical year, the year of Jubilee. They never let the land rest. And maybe some people obeyed God and let their land rest. And some people obeyed God and let um, the servants or slaves free and canceled debts. But as a massive cultural, political, national whole, corporately, they did not do that. There was not one time that they did that. One thing that you can think of is like, oh, God really didn't take that seriously because we're not doing it. Nothing's happening. We're not doing it. Nothing's happening. But then all of a sudden the prophets come in and they're like, you're idolaters and you're social injustice. And now I'm going to punish you. So God's like saying, it's all caught up with you. It's all caught up with you and now you're going to be punished. So this is what God is saying. In all those years, 490 years, you never once did this sabbatical year. Now what is 490 divided by 7? Seven? 70. And what God is saying is for every year you did not let the land rest. Every year that you did not set the slaves free, you're going to exile for every one of those years. I'm gonna hold you accountable. You thought that I didn't care about slavery. You thought I didn't care about social injustice. You thought I didn't care about the land. You thought that this was just a holiday that I could celebrate if I wanted to, but it was not true. I took this seriously. And I took the way you treated my people when they were in bankruptcy, I the way they when they were poor and down out, how you abused them and made money off of them and profit off of them. I took it so seriously that I'm going to take you into exile and you're going to be oppressed and you're going to be enslaved and you're going to be taken down and you're going to be out of the land that you refuse to let rest for every year that you didn't do it. Now, this is powerful because it shows that God does take this seriously, even though consequences may not immediately come corporately. Now, consequences did come to those people individually within their lifetime. But corporately as a nation, it took God a while, and I say that as a lack of a better phrase, to punish them. But when he did, it was hard and harsh and terrible. And once again, I know sometimes when we read this, we think, wow, God, that's really harsh. And you kind of went overboard a little bit. And that's our first emotional response. But remember, that is not all what people are feeling when they've been oppressed by dictators. Okay, when you've been oppressed and enslaved and your family's been massacred or you live in Mexico and your, your family's been buried in unmarked graves by the drug cartel or you're under Saddam Hussein or you were enslaved in our own American history and treated poorly, or you were marginalized and ignored the killing fields of Cambodia, you're not thinking when Saddam Hussein and Hitler and, and the Khmer Rouge are getting their justice and they're being punished, oh God, that's way too harsh. When you've been at the hand of a stick of an oppressor, you're not complaining about the punishments being too harsh for them. And remember that God came down on them harshly because of this. all the years that they were harsh to other people. But it also says this, and I think this is what's powerful. Remember in the very, very beginning of Genesis, one of the things that God commanded us was to take care of the earth. We were to rule it and subdue it like God does. And God rules and subdues by bringing order and life to creation. And he takes care of animals, plants, and everything. And he blesses them and makes them fruitful and multiplies them. And he takes care of them. And a lot of Christians are sometimes the last to think about the environment. And the last to take care of the animal world. And the last to take care of crops. I'm not saying every Christian is like that. I'm just saying we have a history in America of being the last ones to think about that. And what God is saying is, I take the rest of the land so seriously that you're going to go into exile for every year that you didn't do it. And that's huge. That says to him environmentalism is huge in his mind. If he created this world and called it all good and blesses it and takes care of it, then heck yes, he cares about environmentalism. And you're like, oh... But some of those environmentalists, they go way too far. they like have lifted animals up to be equal with humans, and they're hugging trees and and they're willing for people to suffer and die for the sake of the environment, yeah, you know why? because there's no Christian showing them how to do it in a godly way when the world acts in evil ways when it comes to the internet, when it comes to speech when it comes to taking care of the environment, when it comes to politics, when it comes to entertainment, it's because the Christians aren't there as the image of God being led by the Holy Spirit, showing them what light looks like. And the goal is not to say, look at them, they're weird and they're doing it wrong. That's why environmentalism is bad or internet is bad or politics is bad. It's no, that's why we need to get in there and become the light and become the image of God and do it in a godly way so that the world can see that that actually produces more fruit than their way. And then they, their desire to take care of the environment, which comes from God, is good. But then they're doing it in the way that the image of God wants them to do it because they're coming to Christ and being sanctified. And so God cares about all of creation and he cares about all of it. Politics, land, environmentalism, socialism, social life, everything being sanctified in the image of God. And remember, nothing is bad. It's only what we do with it that makes it bad. And so we are meant to be the image of God. And this is what God has been saying over and over and over again in the prophets. I thought that it would be so awesome to take you and adopt you and make you my people, so that you could have a relationship with me, the glorious God of the universe, and you would live a righteous life, so righteous that the world would look at you and say, Wow, you do politics in an amazing way that produces life. You do environmentalism in an amazing way that produces life. You do psychology in an amazing way that produces life. You do medical procedures in an amazing way that takes care of people. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I want to be a part of that. And the same thing that God said to Israel is the same thing he's saying to us in Christ. He thought it would be so awesome to send his son to die on the cross. Now, that's not the awesome part. But for our own sake, that's the awesome part. So that we could become his children and being dwelled by the Holy Spirit and sanctified so that we could have our hearts circumcised and begin to live righteously and do politics and block parties and entertainment and parenting and school teachers and discipleship and all everything that you could possibly imagine in a holy, sanctified way that would make people look at you and say, Wow, that really does produce fruit. That really is truly a much better way, and a much more life-giving way, with fewer consequences and dysfunctionality. I want to know how to do that. And we say, let me tell you about my God. And that's what he hoped for Israel, and they failed, because they choose to produce their own works. And now he is curing us through Christ to be that. And the question is, are we going to look in this mirror and see who we are without Christ, and cling to Christ so desperately that he will transform us, and we will be able to become the new Israel that God wanted them to be, that we can now be, so that the whole world will look at us, including the ethnic Jews today, and say, I want to be a part of that. And they will come into it. And this is where I really truly believe that the gospel message is not just you going out and telling people about Christ. I really truly believe the gospel message is about you being a banker or a teacher or a member of your neighborhood or anything or a PTA member or anything, no matter how small the world might see it or how glorious and famous the world see it, you do it as one in the image of God and you do it in a way that produces fruit and life because you're in Christ and the world sees that. And this is why it doesn't matter. And I'm not saying you don't preach the gospel. I'm saying you don't have to figure out how do I start a spiritual conversation with them. You just live a spiritual life in your career or your passion or your talent or skill. And that will invite people to ask you questions. And then you can have a spiritual conversation. There are times where you start it, but a lot of times it just starts by them asking questions. And this is what God has called us to. It's not just the gospel of words. It's the gospel of doing things in the world, in our culture, in a Christ-like way. And so this is what it's called, Jeremiah and Israel too, and now us. And so that's the end of this section.